This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 23 of Go To Grandma. I'm your host, Kathy Buckworth, and I hope you're enjoying our grand journey as we look at all things grandparent and grandkid in 2022. Please note that due to COVID restrictions in Ontario, where I record the show, I am not allowed access to the studio for a few weeks. You may notice a difference in the sound quality, but I assure you the content quality will stay the same. The show must go on, and here we go with the show. The person who is the reason I'm a grandma is joining me today. My daughter, Tori Halpin, is the mom of my two grandsons, Owen, two years, and Cam, seven months. If I slip up and call her Victoria during our interview, I hope she'll forgive me. Tori is a great mom, and I've talked often about the parenting strategies she and many millennial parents are following. Today, we're going to talk about why she didn't let Owen watch any TV until he was two years old, and how her Instagram reels explaining it has garnered over 7 million views. I'm lucky enough to live five minutes from Tori and her family, but many grandparents are separated by many miles. Carrie Byrne is the founder of the Long Distance Grandparent Program, and she's going to tell us the number one secret to grandparenting from a distance. The city you kids and grandkids live in might be terrific, or it might need to hear about youthful cities. Our Take 5 with RBC segment this week looks at this exciting new initiative to make cities more amenable and usable by young people. It's 2022, and we are keeping things moving in a fun and factual way, as we do on GoToGrandma. Go get your coffee, dip your tea bag, or just sit back and laugh and learn with us for the next half hour. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to GoToGrandma. Tori Halpin is the mom of two boys. With a background in child education, she prides herself on being up to date with the latest research-based parenting strategies. Her Instagram page is a one-stop shop for parents to learn and feel empowered. She is also my daughter and the reason I am a grandma. Morning, Tori. Good morning. So you're not letting Owen watch TV until he's two or you didn't let him watch TV until two. I let you guys watch TV. You're doing this differently than me. What is the benefit of no TV before two? Well, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AAP, recommends no TV until 18 to 24 months. The World Health Organization says not until two, and then they both say no more than an hour a day from age two to five. Why? Good evidence suggests that TV before two has a lasting negative effects on children's language development, short-term memory, attention skills, and even on their sleep. And kids' TV is so different than it was even five or ten years ago. Marketers are smart, and the majority of TV shows today are overstimulating. That's the point. They want our kids hooked, so they demand to watch more and more. The top five kids' shows on TV right now are likely not the ones that are best for our kids. And research shows that the developing toddler brain actually builds up a tolerance to these overstimulating TV shows, and real life seems boring by comparison. So Owen is over too. Now you've started to introduce television to him. Are there certain shows that are preferable to others and why? Yes. And what kids are watching makes such a big difference. And just like we as parents need to remind ourselves that we can only control what happens in our own home, the same can be true at grandma's house. TV is a necessary tool for a lot of parents. There's a good chance that your grandkids are watching it even before age two. And that's okay. But you can decide what shows that you put on for them. Um, In our house, we look for shows where scenes don't change frequently, so not every four seconds or less. 
shows with muted colors, and shows where there aren't multiple sounds happening at once. It's not an easy task. A good giveaway that the show is too overstimulating is if the child is zoned out in front of the TV. Um, you want them to be laughing, looking around, talking about what they're seeing. Favorites in our house are Little Bear and Trash Truck. So I'm going to use air quotes for this that you can't see, but is educational television a real thing? Well, uh, marketers sure want us to think that <laughs> it is. I think educational TV isn't as important as we think. I think that it makes parents feel better about ourselves because we think our kids are learning something. But I don't think we need to feel bad at all if they are watching TV. Kids are learning so much more from the real world when it's intentional. So we don't need to rely on TV shows for teaching them their ABCs, their colors. Instead, we should be looking for TV shows that are modeling kindness, modeling empathy, along with that research shows that kids until about age five or six, they're not actually able to comprehend the moral of a story. So say there's a bad guy on the show and then they get caught at the end and then it works out. Kids aren't able to grasp that until they're a bit older. So all they see is the action of whatever the bad person is doing. So instead, we are watching for shows that model kindness the entire time in each scene until they're able to grasp that on a deeper level. Oh, that's that's so interesting. I never thought about that. They don't see that there's a reconciliation between the bad act and maybe being punished or something like that. Exactly. So if Um, they see someone climbing on a table and then they fall down, they're seeing the action of climbing on the table. Oh, interesting. So you do a lot of Instagram reels about the parenting strategies that you're employing. And you did one on No TV Until 2. I think it's three reels that you did. And you've had over 7 million views of this particular series, the No TV Until 2. Why do you think this is resonating so much with parents? And what are some of the comments you're getting? Okay, people have strong opinions. Um, It (laughs) seems like it's a moral issue. It seems like you're a good parent if they don't watch TV and you're a bad parent if they don't. And that's not it at all. We chose to do no TV before, too, because it made sense for our family. I'm home with my other son anyways. Um, It just worked for us. But you're not a bad parent if they are watching TV. And I think because we make it such a black and white issue, we're limiting the conversation about what they're actually watching in these overstimulating TV shows. I think that's a bigger deal than if they're watching or not. And we're really just limiting the conversation by making it such a black or white issue. I agree with that. So the television screens that we're letting Owen watch now over the age of two, those are the only screens that I could watch when I was a kid. And even the only screens, Tori, that you could watch when you were a kid. But kids today can see, they can FaceTime with grandma. They see YouTube. They're on an iPod, et cetera. Are all these screens the same thing? Yeah, so screens are everywhere these days. So things like laptops, iPads, TV, those would all count under the same umbrella of that TV time. The one exception, so the American Academy of Pediatrics, is live video chatting. So that's FaceTiming, Skype, those things are all great. And they say that it's fine, or rather the benefit of it outweighs the potential cost. And that's because from six months onwards, we're seeing that babies are emotionally connected with the person on the other side. It's a two-way communication where the person on the other side is actually reacting to the baby the same way they would in person. So you don't want to overdo it, but in moderation, it's totally fine. Oh, thank goodness. I can keep FaceTiming Owen and Cam. <laughs> Glad to know without harming them. What about when the kids are over here at my house and I'm running around the kitchen or I'm doing something and I've got them in a high chair or whatever, and I've got TV on in the background. If they can't see it, is that still okay? Not ideal. So it's better because it's not, kids TV show is actively trying to get our kids watching it, right? They're probably a lot more interested in, say, Cocomelon than Seinfeld that's on a TV. That right. that if you've ever tried to keep a baby away from a TV screen, they're like glued <laughs> to it. <laughs> 
So they are yes. still going to be watching it. And then the other thing you want to think about is one of the main reasons that the AAP recommends no TV is actually language development. So if you have the TV on, you are interacting less with your child. And so it actually has an impact on language development if the TV is just on as background noise in the house. Well, I don't know how I got such a smart kid. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I had some good parenting strategies myself. Um, but this is all great new information, I'm sure, for our grandparents listening and parents as well. If people want more information, they can go to your website, toryhalpin.com, and that's T-O-R-Y-H-A-L-P-I-N.com or Instagram at Tori Halpin. Thanks, Tori. Thank you. Carrie Byrne, PhD, is the founder of The Long Distance Grandparent, a social mission business helping grandparents create fun and meaningful moments with their grandchildren, no matter the miles between. At the height of the pandemic, she launched an online monthly membership program called The Long Distance Grandparent Society to support grandparents in their journey to strengthen relationships with their grandchildren through intentional and purposeful grandparenting. It's the only program like it in the world, and Carrie built it based on her 20 years experience as a research scientist in the area of aging and care. Carrie is a mom to two little boys, and all the grandparents in their lives are at a distance. She recently moved back home to Canada after living abroad for the last five years, and she's with me now. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for having me. No problem. I'm very excited to talk about this. My grandkids, I'm lucky they live around the corner, but many people aren't. And I teased this in the intro. What is the number one secret to grandparenting from a distance? Well, I always encourage grandparents to sweat the small stuff. That is really the number one secret to grandparenting from a distance. And what I mean by that is that you want to always be remembering the small details about their lives. And this can be the name of their best friend or their teacher, what they like on their pizza, uh, their favorite kind of dinosaur or their favorite color. And the reason that this is so important is because you can use this information in your interactions with them. So if you know that they love red and they're obsessed with cars, then send them a red car in the mail. And then you can play together on a FaceTime chat with those two things. But the second reason it's so important is because this really signals to your grandchildren that I know you and I'm listening. And what matters to you matters to me. And so starting a conversation from a place of, you know, what are your favorite things about Mrs. Smith? Or what did you do with Sally this weekend? As opposed to always having to ask, signal to them that you're listening. And listening is really a grandparent superpower, especially from a distance. I love that because you're right. Sometimes we just say, how was school? And it's a very open-ended question instead of saying, oh, did you, you know, sit next to your friend Sally, as you say in class today, et cetera. I love that sweat, the small stuff. So remember the details. Is it okay if I write them down? Because I might forget. <laughs> yeah, I actually provide grandparents with, with what I call a cheat sheet. You know, the grandparents oh, nice. cheat sheet. Because of course, you know, we have, I've worked with grandparents who have tons of grandchildren. And so you definitely, I encourage you to write this down. I mean, this is why I think you can change your relationship with a sticky note and a sharpie <laughs> because you, yeah. be <laughs> noting, you know noting always note these things down and have them around especially when you're facetiming right like just to have something in front of you that reminds you look up things to ask them about so if you know they love uh, you know for some kids harry potter if you have mm-hmm. grandchildren they're a bit older they might love harry potter well you know look up a quiz about harry potter and then you can do that on a video chat and that's two things right you'll have more fun uh, on the chat They'll be more engaged, and it's a way to bond with them over something that they're interested in. I love that. You teach grandparents something called the connection loop. Can you explain what that is? 
Yeah, so as a long-distance grandparent, you really have three ways of interacting or communicating with your grandchildren. So you have in-person visits. A lot of people you know, only have those a couple times a year. And of course, during this period of the pandemic, people have had even fewer visits. Uh, but you also have video chats or some kind of virtual connection that might be texting if it's with older grandchildren. Uh, and then you have snail mail. And so I teach grandparents to connect those three wherever possible. And so as an example, if you're going to go through all the trouble of putting together a little care package for your grandchild and sending it out, and I know that grandparents do this sometimes monthly when they're at a distance, mm-hmm. you know, take a picture of yourself with the package. Create some excitement and anticipation and ask oh, them to cool. call you when they, when they get it. And so, and when you send something in the mail, make it a loop to something you're going to do on a video chat. So like putting some pipe cleaners in an envelope uh, with some googly eyes and, you know, a red envelope, put it in a red envelope, call them, send them a note and say, watch for this in the mail. You've got a red envelope and when you get it, call me. And that really provides that link between, you know, grandma and grandpa, we're over here, we're sending this in the mail, watch for it in the mail. That is your powerhouse as a long-distance grandparent you're probably the only person taking the time to actually right. put something in the mail in the mail for them. And so that is your special place. I also, you know, as another example, if you're if you've had an in person visit with them or you have one coming up, think about what you can leave behind. You always want to leave remnants of yourself behind. And so Again, let's pull out those sticky notes and a Sharpie and just write a little note. Nana loves you. My world is better with you in it. And tuck it into their pocket. I tuck it into their shoes. Or tuck a little note saying, uh, you know, into a book, call me because uh, I have a joke to tell you. So you're asking for that connection, uh, but you're also using that in-person time with them uh, to be able to then springboard into a video chat. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Any way that you can kind of loop those three types of communication together is just really powerful and helps again for especially for younger children to understand that you know you have this relationship when you're in person but that that continues virtually because you can create some really special moments in FaceTime. And it continues the conversation so to speak as you said the leave behind or the anticipation of what's coming it keeps it cycling through right instead of oh we had our visit then we go home I'll call you next month right (laughs) it kind of keeps that going. Yeah. I love that. I think for grandchildren as well like when you're leaving, there's sometimes a lot of grief that's associated. Uh, so there's, it also provides a way to say that, you know, I'm leaving this little package behind. When I get home, you know, let's open it together and we can have a FaceTime chat. So it gives them a bit of predictability and mm-hmm. it's really helpful around that grief of leaving for both people, <laughs> for grandchildren and grandparents. And so I, I know you believe that grandchildren need their grandparents now more than ever. Why is that, Carrie? Well, I've always believed in the power and the importance of connecting generations. Um, You know, that stems from my experience in the research world and just watching the value of that. I think that now, more than ever, we've all experienced this kind of global uncertainty. And grandparents provide this kind of extra emotional layer of love Mm -hmm. and affirmation, right? So in a world that's uncertain, grandparents provide a sense of stability, security, and belonging to family. And I think that you can do that if you live around the corner, and you can do that if you live across the world. And so just thinking about, you know, how can you provide a sense of stability and security for your grandchildren or give them something that's predictable? So maybe it's a FaceTime chat every Saturday morning. If you've got older grandchildren, send them a loving text you know, every Friday <laughs> or, yeah. you know, just doing something that's a little more predictable, but I think just being there and not giving up. I know that right now, uh, and 
actually all the time. I mean, parents with young kids, I'm a parent. I understand the parent side. They're busy. There's a lot going on. And sometimes you don't get much back as a grandparent from a distance where you wish you could FaceTime more, you wish you had more time. But I think right now I just want to encourage grandparents to just not give up, keep trying, because your grandchildren do need you. Great advice. And I'm going to encourage and advise our listeners to go to thelongdistancegrandparent.com for more information and to subscribe to your membership. Thank you so much for joining me today, Carrie. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Robert Barnard began his entrepreneurial career at age 19 with the launch of his own beachwear clothing line and co-founded Decode in 1994, a global innovation and insight firm focused on younger generations. Robert has spoken to audiences around the world, co-authored one of the best-selling books on Generation X, Chips and Pop, Decoding the Nexus Generation, and served on many NGO boards. He is a recipient of Canada's Top 40 Under 40 Award. In 2012, Robert co-founded Youthful Cities to amplify the power of urban youth globally, making cities better in the process. Using his three decades of experience in youth engagement and innovation, Youthful Cities focuses on the critical nexus of youth, 15 to 29 years, and cities. Welcome, Robert. Thank you for joining me today as part of our Take 5 with RBC series. Yeah, thanks so much for having me over. So there are so many facets to the work you are doing as youthful cities. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure, there is lots that we're doing, which is which is great. So um, I think the best way to describe it is there's two sides. One is, that, you know, our mission is kind of in the name. We want to build more youthful cities. And, and the nice thing about that is it's not necessarily age-specific, even though we're focused on youth. We're really trying to build this youthful attitude in cities and also make sure that we build cities that are great places for youth to live, work, and play. And I think that's appealing to uh, all generations, actually. So Mm -hmm. one of the key pieces that we're working on is how do you measure the performance of cities on youth terms? And that means that we gather a lot of data on cities, hiring youth to do it. We turn that data into good information, and then we use that information to gather youth together to see how they can take it and make cities more youthful places. And so how has Youthful Cities worked with RBC Future Launch? Well, it's been a three-year partnership. It's been a great one. And, you know, their, their mission to really help young people, especially in the employment side. One of the things mm-hmm. that we did with them is we, we actually hosted a summit with um, RBC back in 2019 to look at the future of work through the eyes of young people, which hadn't really been done before. Uh, and then secondly, we take, took all that information that came from young people and said, how would we measure cities as great places to work for youth? And so we, we collaborated with RBC to create the first ever urban work index, which ranked cities across Canada on how well they were doing as far as great places for, uh, for young people to, to work. So interesting. Um, and obviously, in the middle of all your research, the pandemic, right? Yeah. So how has the pandemic changed the results or the insights of the Youthful Cities Index? And maybe you can imagine how this might change again. Yeah, well, we actually we launched our first Urban Work Index with RBC Future Launch back in 2019. And then we, we wanted to do it again. We felt that things that the, the impact of the, the pandemic is so extreme on young people, mm-hmm. especially at the very beginning of their careers that we wanted to see how cities were doing as far as responding to young people. So we launched another urban work index to help, you know, cities understand how they can better provide for young people, but also help young people make better decisions as to where they may want to live and work in the future. So that's part of it is is better information 
kind of that young people are collecting themselves and using themselves builds trust. And we want to make sure that young people are really set up for the for the future. But you know, when I when I think about the pandemic overall, it's you know it's it's really been a, a crisis for young people that's gone largely unreported. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. you know for all of you know your listeners, if you think back to your you know late teens and early twenties, and if you were literally shut in for two years of that critical time of your life when you're building relationships, when you're looking for jobs, where you're you know trying to build. Um, skill sets and you have to do all of that either online or not at all because you know youth unemployment has been through the roof uh, as a result of the pandemic that's such a tough place for for young people to be so it's you know it's obviously fantastic that uh, we've been able to work with rbc future launch to at least keep that that issue on the table keep keep the the narrative going that young people are being affected in so many ways as a result of the pandemic. And, and we want to make sure that we're be able to give them good information and help cities provide you know, better programs, better services for, for young people Absolutely. to get out of the pandemic as well. Well, as a parent of four children aged 19 to 30, they're right in there. I can validate everything you've said about the two years of their lives being quite disrupted. And if I want more information, uh, Robert, I can go to youthfulcities.com. Is that right? You absolutely can. Thank you so much for explaining this to us. I am definitely going to go there and I encourage our listeners to as well if they have kids or grandkids in that age range. Thanks again. Thanks so much. This was a really special show for me, having my own daughter as a guest. Is it nepotism? Maybe, but not in the way that you're thinking. Tori is a presence in the millennial mom market, and I'm so pleased that she could take the time out to join me to talk about a subject which clearly resonates with parents today. It's up to us as grandparents to listen to our kids, the parents of our grandkids, and to learn from them once in a while. I know, shocking revelation. Tori and her family are also vegan, and I'd love to have her back to talk about raising vegan children and to discuss whether she gets pushback on this from her followers. Next week on episode number 24, we continue our mix of fun and facts on GoToGrandma. First up, I chat with Michael Pollack, or Little Dipper, about how he is leveraging Indigenous pathways to solve global problems as part of our Take 5 with RBC series. Fascinating talk about a course called Four Seasons of Truth and Reconciliation. You won't want to miss this important discussion. I also get the opportunity to speak with Stats Canada about a new survey on the economics and health impact of an aging population. We'll deep dive into some of the numbers and see what they really mean. Thinking of downsizing? Claire Kumar calls herself a productivity catalyst, and she's going to help us sort through all of that stuff we need to get rid of and what we really need to keep. Do you like dogs? Do you like TV? The fun part of our show next week is of the canine kind as I chat with the dog trainer from the hit series Hudson and Rex. Some behind-the-scenes info on how they get that dog to do those things. I'm going to end this episode with a quote from Betty White, whom we sadly lost a few weeks ago. My mother always used to say, the older you get, the better you get, unless you're a banana. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. If you're listening to us on podcast, please drop us a rating and review. Thanks for joining me once again, and enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter, at Kathy Buckworth, or email her, kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.